Today's bonus episode dives into the legend that is Polybius, an arcade cabinet from the 1980s with stories of death and a secret government agency somehow being involved. My name is Kenneth Sally, and welcome to The Strange Collective. Welcome everybody to bonus episode number two. I am going to be doing things a little bit differently with this bonus episode. I'm going to be uploading this on all podcast services aside from just my Patreon as a way to introduce listeners to what they can expect from my bonus episodes that you would be able to get on the Patreon for The Strange Collective. With that being said, let's dive right in to the story of Polybius, the Killer Cabinet. So, as I mentioned from the intro, this was an arcade cabinet from the 1980s, and it was claimed to be part of a secret government experiment, and apparently this arcade cabinet was causing kids to hallucinate, have nightmares, or even become suicidal. The earliest claim surrounding this arcade cabinet was added to the gaming site coinop.org on August 3rd, 1998. Little information was given, except that it was described as being a game with abstract puzzles and a shooting game. So, basically, what, Tetris meets Doom? I mean, for the time period, sure, that sounds about right. It was apparently only released in one or two arcades outside of Portland, and it was supposedly regularly visited by men in black coats who would come to collect quote-unquote records and they were believed to be part of a paramilitary technology group, according to one of the arcade shop owners. Alright, so we're dealing with the men in black? Like, am I supposed to expect Tommy Lee Jones or Will Smith to show up? An entry on the site included a photograph, also, of a title screen with the text, Copyright 1981, hopefully I don't butcher this, Sinnelschlossen, which has a loose translation in German to quote, sensory extinguishing, end quote. There were also reports of children suffering from amnesia, sleeping disorders, and inexplicable trauma after playing this supposed game. And it was likely based on a German arcade cabinet named Polyplay, which was a collection of eight games, including a puzzle game and a space shooter. The first archived inquiry about the game was posted to a Usenet group rec.games.video.arcade.collecting on February 27th, 2000. On April 11th, 2001, a year later, a thread was posted in the same group claiming that the legend was created by Christian Oliver Windler, aka Cyber Yogi. Now, Windler never publicly admitted to that story, so it's hard to say if there's actually any validity or truth behind the claim that Windler created this, or should I say Cyber Yogi. Two years later, in July of 2003, a thread popped up on Snopes.com, which for anybody somehow unaware of what Snopes is, Snopes is a fabulous site that I often refer to to debunk the absolute bonkers theories that old people share on Facebook. And if it's not old people on Facebook, it's the kid from high school that averaged a 45% across all his classes and thought the world was truly ending in 2012. Just to give you an idea of best use for Snopes. Anyway, 
so yes, uh, two years later, July 2003, there was a thread that popped up on Snopes where researchers arrived at the conclusion that this wasn't, this wasn't a real game. The story then spread to various sites over the next few months with a member of the Guru3D forums claiming to be in possession of an emulator of the game, but later said it was an EXE file that simulated a window directory deletion, which, all right, weird. The legend of the game was discussed further for years on sites like Den of Geek, Cracked, Yahoo, and Joystick, and then it was referenced in September 24th, 2006, with an episode of The Simpsons, where Bart enters an arcade and walks up to a machine next to Polybius, marked as, quote, property of the U.S. government, end quote. On March 20th, 2006, Stephen Roach posted an explanation for the mystery to the coinop.com Polybius page. He claimed the game was created for a South American company who wanted to take a new approach to the gaming industry. Six days after the game's limited release, a 13-year-old boy from Portland, Oregon had epileptic seizures while playing. They had to quickly pull seven cabinets out of the arcade. The gameplay was described as it being centered around a moon base with six sets of different aliens to defeat, and as the levels progressed, the game moved more quickly. On April 2006, Roach then did an interview with GameSpot, but there were inconsistencies in his story. Parts of the story seemed ripped straight from Wikipedia. It was later revealed in September 2007 that Stephen Roach and many other user accounts that posted on a retro gamer thread regarding Polybius were all dummy accounts created by the same person. Basically, Roach was like any other dude bro on the internet that just wanted to be part of the conversation. Much like those guys on Facebook that will comment on your post that clearly don't know a damn thing about what you're talking about and how could they possibly know anything about woman's struggles or being a minority or anything like that. But don't worry, they always got something to say. They always want to be part of the conversation. So moving on, I want to talk about some of the theories and ideas surrounding Polybius and maybe how it was created or how this urban legend came to form. So we start with the thoughts of an American producer and author by the name of Brian Dunning. And basically, Brian believes that Polybius grew from a mixture of influences in the 1980s. He points out the time that two arcade patrons fell ill on the same day in Portland in 1981. One collapsed from a migraine after playing Tempest, and the other had stomach pain after playing Asteroids for 28 hours straight in an attempt to break the world record. What's funny to me is how the older generation now thinks that us kids have gotten softer and weaker, but I just want to point out that these two kids were weak as fuck. Absolute soft boys, alright? I mean, I remember a time where I played Pokemon Diamond for 48 hours straight just because it was the summer and I had nothing else to do and I was 13. And I didn't have a migraine. I didn't have a stomach problem or any of this shit. So next time uh, next time one of these old heads wants to point out how we're all weak, I don't know, man. Bring up the time that you played Halo Combat Evolved for three days straight without sleeping or eating and you seem pretty fine. Just point that out next time. Anyway, the FBI also raided several arcades 10 days later in the same area on suspicion of owners using the machines for gambling. Leading up to the raid, FBI agents monitored cabinets for signs of tampering and recording high scores. Likely, these two events so close together merged into this one urban myth. 
We also have filmmaker and video game journalist Stuart Brown believing that this was all cooked up by Kurt Collar, the owner of coinop.org, as a way to drive traffic to the site by capitalizing on the popularity of conspiracy theories. Which, man, woo, that's a, that's a crazy thought, that's a crazy idea. Next you're going to tell me that people have podcasts about these kinds of things. Hmm, interesting. Alright, enough of the sarcasm. So, moving forward, there was actually a video game company named Rogue Synapse that created a game called Polybius in 2007, and it was based on Stephen Roach's descriptions. So, basically it's the closest that we're going to get as of right now to a recreation of this supposed game. Later, Lambsoft, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Lambsoft, it's spelled L-L-A-M-S-O-F-T, I think it's Lambsoft. Uh, they created a game of the same name for PlayStation VR in 2017. Early marketing had the co-author Jeff Minter claiming that he was permitted to play the original arcade game in England. Minter later acknowledged the game was inspired by the urban legend, but they didn't attempt to reproduce the alleged gameplay that was described by Stephen Roach. So, another guy that's an absolute crock of shit. You relied on the marketing to sell your game, and you relied on the lying in your marketing to sell the game. Wow. You gotta love capitalism, am I right? Now, before we close out this episode, I want to bring up a very interesting story that I came across while researching this episode. It relates to a gentleman by the name Bobby Feldstein. So Bobby Feldstein claims that he was abducted when he was 14 after playing the game Polybius at Coin Kingdom and experienced mind-altering side effects. He claims to have been led through a series of underground tunnels and was found 60 miles from his home the next day in the middle of the Tillamook State Forest. He claims there was another boy with him that actually helped him escape. And uh, get ready for the kicker here. Bobby now gives walking tours around Portland to try and replicate the experience, which of course, it's all for profit. So, to me this just sounds like a guy who fabricated a story surrounding this urban legend and is using it as a way to swindle tourists out of cash. I mean, <laughs> that's the most likely scenario. It's, uh, it's a real shame, but also game-recognized game. I mean, I get it. It's, it's rough out there. You gotta make a quick buck. But at the same time, come on, man. Come on. You're making money off the backs of the innocent and some horseshit story you came up with that honestly sounds like it's combining the story of the arcade cabinet and the whole conspiracy theory that uh, there's underground tunnels underneath schools that kids are being funneled through and that whole that whole conspiracy, if you're familiar, which I'm not even going to begin to dive into that one right now. Now, where I stand on the urban legend of Polybius is very much leaning towards Brian Dunning's beliefs. Basically that, again, this is just some mixture of influences from the 1980s. You had two events basically happening very close together, uh, time-wise and location-wise, that kind of concocted and created this story about some secret arcade cabinet used by the government. There are some that believe that this arcade cabinet was in fact real and was perhaps part of a secret government psychological experiment 
where maybe the game was supposed to send subliminal messages to the kids playing it, whether that be a sleeper cell situation or something else altogether. Um, again, I definitely side with the Brian Dunning belief. I, I don't believe that this game ever actually existed in the sense that is being claimed from the original story from 98. I also could see that Stuart Brown might be right, where Kurt, the owner of coinop.org, probably did create this whole story as a way to, you know, make some more money. Make some more money by having people come to his website. I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with it, as long as maybe you eventually come out and say, hey, no, I totally, I came up with this, I came up with this story. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. No, it's not real. Here's where the influences came from. Sorry, guys. Those are the most likely explanations to me. Um, however, do I wish that this game was real? Do I wish that this whole story was a thing? Do I wish that there was some secret seedy government organization that was putting arcade cabinets in these few arcades in Portland and running tests and things like that. Yeah, sure, it makes for a good, like, sci-fi story. You know, I'm sure there's a movie that's going to be made about this someday if there wasn't already, but I'm going to definitely, uh, I'm definitely going to go on the record and say that this is 99% not a thing. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Strange Collective Podcast and follow on Twitter at the underscore strange underscore pod. And then normally for a bonus episode, I wouldn't plug the Patreon, but hey, just real quick, if you want to support the show financially, you can do so at Patreon at The Strange Collective. There's, of course, links pretty much on all the socials uh, just so that way you can access it because I know through Patreon search function, it's kind of weird. It's hard to find people through there. So the link is usually the best. Um, supporters have access to handwritten show notes, bonus episodes, and there are also some other benefits, uh, whether that be at the lowest tier or moving up. And finally, make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can rate and review. It's greatly appreciated. And honestly, it really, really, really helps the show grow. Um, basically, it just offers up that ability for the show to be exposed to more people who may like it. And kind of on that topic, if you know somebody who might like what I'm doing here, shoot them a message, shoot them a text, shoot them a thing on Facebook Messenger, tag them and stuff when I post, whatever you want to do. Just, you know, maybe you know somebody who might like stories about weird stuff from the internet. Maybe you know somebody who really likes video games or music or movies or strange conspiracy theories like last week's episode. Shoot them a suggestion. Can't hurt. What happens? They listen to it, they don't like it, they move on. The Strange Collective is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Kenneth Sally. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a great day.